Hey, this is Tim McGregor, and I'm the pastor of LOH Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope it builds your faith and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. Enjoy the message. We are beginning a series today that's going to take us through the holiday season, Christmas time, called The Life and the Glory, and we're going to look at Christmas in the words of Isaiah. Sometimes uh, people will say to me, what, my fa- what is your favorite gospel? And a lot of times I'll say Isaiah, and they look at me awful strange, but uh, I believe he's the fifth gospel, the prophet Isaiah. We're going to be looking at the pictures of Jesus in his, uh, in his prophecies in the Old Testament. Today's message I've titled, The Majesty, The Manger, and Me. When you think about the prophets of Israel, and I love the phrase that God used in the book of Jeremiah where he calls them, my servants, the prophets. My servants, the prophets. Um, the one we're going to be looking at today might be considered the, the most popular, the most known, He's definitely the most quoted in the, Old, in the New Testament, and that is Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1 tells us a little bit about him, as you'll see following along on the screen. Guys, following along on the screen, Isaiah 1, 1. The vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, son of Amoz, saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Now the armies of Israel are banging the drums downstairs. We're gonna do our best to stay safe in the arms of the Lord. Might get rough. Um, Isaiah, most say, lived from 740 BC to 686 BC. And um, there's tradition that tells us that Isaiah was uh, martyred, was killed for his prophecies that he gave, and uh, some even say that he was sawn in two. In the book of Hebrews, in the 11th chapter, where it talks about, um, where it talks about uh, those whose faith they suffered and some were sawn in two, it, it could be a reference to Isaiah. So I was thinking, you know, uh, for those who are longing to be a prophet of the Lord, be careful what you pray for. You never know where you might end up. Isaiah, Isaiah suffered for the visions and the words that God gave him. Uh, we, we know that he, he was preaching and what he saw was 700 years before Jesus was even born. Um, in, the, in, the, in the prophets themselves, you usually find in the first chapter or so, or somewhere in the beginnings of their writings and what they say, you'll find these moments when they will describe God actually speaking to them and setting them into these places of ministry. And I want you to see on the screen here in Isaiah chapter 6, I want you to see Isaiah's call, Isaiah's call. I just want to make sure you guys are tracking with me. I really want you to track with me, guys. This is, this is like uh, Isaiah 6, we there? All right. In the year that King Uzziah died, we know when this happened, 
I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe, the train means hem. Think of the massive imagery here. The hem of his robe filled the temple. And then we're going to look later at this in more detail, but I want to jump ahead here on the same slide to see what Isaiah heard. He says, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. And he said to me, go. We're going to look at the majesty, the manger, and me. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you now. We thank you that you've graced this place and graced our hearts with the presence of God. We have walked with you for a month now in the, the fiery coals of these words from Isaiah and these words that you've led me to share over this month coming about your majesty, your life, the life of Jesus, the plan that was ordained before time began but was seen by this marvelous servant of Yahweh, Isaiah. We pray that you would speak to our heart, that you would open our eyes, that we would be able to present this message without hindrance from the enemy and the power of God would do a work in every life. We give you thanks for it. May Jesus be seen high and exalted. We give him all the praise, and in his name we ask, amen. What we find here in this text in Isaiah 6 is that Isaiah is being called by God. None of these people called themselves. He's being called by God, and it's at a time where Israel is about to be judged by God. They had filled the cup to the full, the cup of disobedience. They had mingled their faith with the nations of the world. And instead of leaning on Yahweh, leaning on the Lord, they were leaning on pagan kings and pagan powers for help rather than God. And his patience was running out on them. God's patience is way longer. It's actually described as being unlimited, but it does run out. And it was running out. And God told Isaiah to proclaim the message. And that was only part of the message that Isaiah proclaimed because he also proclaimed the message of hope and we're going to look at that. But Isaiah's calling and his vision is to be understood in full, you have to travel seven centuries into the future when a fisherman by the name of Simon Peter, Simon son of Jonah, in the last days of his ministry, was writing a letter to the Christian church in Rome, and he describes in the first chapter of his letter something that gives us an understanding about Isaiah Jeremiah, Micah, and all of the prophets. He describes how the prophets saw what they saw. What, this is amazing. Look with me, if you would, in 1 Peter, where Simon Peter says, concerning this salvation, 
The prophets, which includes Isaiah, who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently, the prophets, they searched intently with the greatest care. Why? They were trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them. The Holy Spirit was in the prophets, telling them, showing them this vision of God's plan in the coming Messiah. And they were searching, trying to figure out the times of it. When would it happen? And notice what Peter says. When the spirit of the Messiah in them was pointing, when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. Look at this next verse. It was revealed to them, and in Isaiah's case, seven centuries before Jesus is born, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. But you. They were not serving themselves, but you. When they spoke, in their time, when they spoke, they were speaking to their time, but speaking to you. That have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, and I love this, even angels long to look into these things. When the prophets of Israel saw, when Isaiah particularly saw the, the plan of God, the day of the Lord, these big themes, the messianic work and the Messiah himself, when they saw, it was like looking at a vast mountain range. I remember flying into, uh, to L.A. the last trip in the day, and we had gone up to the, to the, uh, up into the uh, Wisconsin and came down through to avoid, to avoid uh, storms. But then we came down when the sun was coming up over the Rocky Mountains, and I had a window seat. And watching that, I just wanted to, can you like hover right here for a minute, Mr. Pye? I just wanted, I couldn't even, Right? unbelievable so picture seeing this mountain range and you see the only you see, you only see the summits you see the vast picture and but you only see the summits what you're not able to distinguish is the distance from one peak to the other it can look like it's all together but the closer you get you realize to get from this peak to this is miles so when the prophets saw, they saw it all. When they saw the day of the Lord, it was speaking about something right then in their lives. And they saw that and they couldn't always determine what was going to happen in the day of the Lord right then or 50 years later or 100 years later. So when, Isaiah, when they saw, they saw the whole thing, but they had no time stamp. They just saw it all. That's why when Jesus came, they weren't ready for the, humi the, humil the humiliation and the suffering of Messiah. They saw the, he was coming to do the deal, man. Because they couldn't distinguish, and the prophets couldn't distinguish. So when they spoke, there would be a fulfillment. Sometimes it would be partially, 
and then fully fulfilled later. And sometimes there would be more than one complete fulfillment when they spoke. In their time, later on, and later on, and later on. And then there would be full fulfillments. Every time it would be fully fulfilled, but more than one time. That's why it's difficult for us even today to go to understand the second coming of Christ. Are you, what are you looking at when you read that? Are you looking at now? Are you looking at later? Yeah. Well, is this for now? Yes, it is. But there's also a not yet in the now. That's how he saw it. Isaiah is the only prophet of all the prophets that saw the entire span of the Messiah's ministry. Isaiah saw the birth. He saw the ministry. He saw the rejection. He saw the suffering. He saw the crucifixion. He saw the resurrection. He saw the ascension. He saw the second coming of Messiah and saw the universal reign of Messiah in all that he saw. No other prophet, but Isaiah saw all that. This is interesting. Um, th there, this is just amazing to me. I, I, I already had my manuscript sent, and then I came across some stuff that I thought, I gotta throw this in. Do you have a minute? I'm taking more than that. <laughs> this is fascinating. The, the Bible that you have that has chapters and verses in it, uh, the Bible, the Old Testament and New Testament did not have chapters and verses until uh, a few centuries back. But this is fascinating. Now that we have chapters and verses, we know that there are 39 Old Testament books and 27 New Testament books. Math geniuses, 39, 27 equals? 66 books, 66 books. Isaiah, this is fascinating. Isaiah has 66 chapters. 39 books represent the Old Testament. Isaiah is broken down in two parts. The first 39 chapters, judgment is the dominant message with redemption mentioned and highlighted but not dominant. In the second part of the book, 27 chapters which salvation is dominant and judgment is mentioned but not in the same emphasis. Just like the old and the new. It gets even more crazier than that. In the second section of the 27 chapters begins in chapter 40 where Isaiah introduces this messenger who is going to come to prepare the way of the Lord, John the Baptist. The New Testament introduces the entire plan of redemption with this character coming on the scene of the 27 books. Isn't that fascinating? In the second section of the 27, there are three sections of nine themes, of, no, of, of nine points. In the middle of those 27, in the, in the second section in the middle, the center verse, the center verse is this. 
He was wounded for our transgressions. He was... Now, in the providence of God, he led some very wise individual and individuals when the Bible would be placed in chapters and verses to have that work that way. That is amazing to me. Isn't that cool? I just had to throw that out there because what we are looking at over the next month is we are not looking only at a prophecy. We're looking at a gospel. That's why I call Isaiah the fifth gospel. We're going to touch just briefly on Isaiah 53 today, very, very quickly. But just to make a point, Isaiah 53, which talks about the rejection, the suffering, uh, the death, and the resurrection of Messiah, the ascension, one German scholar said about Isaiah 53, which again, Isaiah penned and spoke and preached seven, six, seven centuries before Jesus was born. And the German theologian from the 19th century said, when you look at Isaiah 53, it's as if someone was standing at the foot of, on Golgotha's hill writing what he saw. That is what Isaiah did. But what Isaiah saw initially is in chapter 6. This was his calling. And I want you to come back to this because in this, in this idea of Christmas, in this idea of Christmas, you can't overlook the majesty of Isaiah's message. You can't overlook it. You can't absorb, if, 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 without absorbing it, we don't get the, the powerful effect of the different manifestation of the same majesty that's revealed, first of all, in the manger in Bethlehem. You have to see this first part to make the manger really a massive impactful thought. Here's why. In Isaiah 6, when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, look at this, it says, above him were seraphim. This is a, a type of, of, of an angelic being. There were different types. This is one type. Above the throne, above the Lord, were seraphim. We don't know how many, but each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. Notice, they, they're near the throne of God, and with two of their wings, they cover their faces. With two, they cover their feet. And with two, they're flying. And they are calling to one another, holy Holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Imagine how powerfully massive this imagery is when you think of not only that it's only the hem of his robe that's filling the whole temple of God, but these seraphim, and the, the Hebrew word for seraphim literally means the burning ones. 
and above him were the burning ones. And they're worshiping, they're worshiping the holiness of God. Um, in Jeffrey Grogan's commentary on Isaiah, I want to I just read a couple of things for you here. It says, this is the only biblical passage in the Bible where seraphim are mentioned. The only place. And it's evident from all the references, and there's different types of angels, archangels, principalities, powers, cherubim, seraphim, a great variety, all created by God. The seraphim are the burning ones. Now picture this. Yet, in contrast to the holiness of God, they have to hide their faces because of a greater burning one. They hide their feet in the sense of total humility before the greater one. Uh, and on and on it goes. And they are saying, holy, holy, holy. Some say, well, look, there's a proof text for the Trinity, three, three holy. Actually, uh, most, most reformers from Calvin to Luther to all say, uh, you know, probably don't go there. That's really not what's happening. What is happening here in the Hebrew language is they are mentioning three times for the purpose of emphasizing the intensity of his holiness. Kadosh, kadosh, kadosh is the, is the Hebrew word. The, the, the word for glory, the word for holy and then the word for glory in, in the Hebrew language has this, this, this sense of weight on it. Like, like you're under the pressure of something. This is a massive, substantial revelation of something about God. The word holy in the purity of it simply means ultimate other. There is no one or no thing like God. Nothing. No one. No burning one. Nothing in all of creation, known or unknown. Nothing seen or unseen. He is ultimately sacred other. And this is what Isaiah is seeing. He is looking at this. He is seeing the, the massive representation. God is spirit. You can't see God and your brain still not uh, uh, keep from exploding. You can't. You think the Indiana Jones scene where they open the, the, the thing and the dude melts away? No man can see the face of God and live. No. The, listen, the burning seraphim are blocking their faces. Do you see that? And they're, they're, they're sinless. They're sinless. And they're blocking. And the intensity is so great. This is, I wrote it like this. Uh, the power of the revelation of this one, ultimate power, ultimate light, ultimate purity, 
ultimate sacredness, ultimate other, no other, carried such an imposing weight that even sinless seraphim have to cover their faces and their bodies and worship. Okay? Look at this next verse. At the sound of their voices. Now listen, God hasn't even spoken yet. God hasn't spoken. At the sound of the voices of the burning ones, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And God hasn't spoken a word. He's just there. And they're only seeing the hem of his robe. Are you with me? You got the Christmas spirit? This is a different part of the Christmas spirit. Okay? Stay with me. Isaiah responds. Here's what he says. Woe to me. I cried. He didn't go, oh, wow. Look at that. Everything in him, he's undone. That's what he says. I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Friend, if we lose in ministry, preaching, you, wherever you are working, whatever we're doing as Christian lights, if we ever lose the detachment that we are different than this sacred absolute other, and we are not among those who only can claim anything because of the mercy of God. We have to stay connected. We are among a people of unclean lips. And the only reason ours changes has nothing to do with us. Nothing. Never. We, if we forget that, we miss the point. We move people away from this revelation of this great need to see him in such light. Isaiah says, I'm ruined. God, here, the best thing that could ever happen to a person in the world is for God to ruin them. Ruin you. Absolutely turn you inside out. I am a man of unclean lips. I thought, what does that mean? And I was reading about this idea of the lips and, and, I, and I realized that although the, the seraphim are blocking because they're just in so awe, they are speaking because they're sinless. They have the ability to praise the revelation of the attributes of God. And Isaiah says, I am not, I can't, I can't speak the praises of God. And the people can't, we are, un, we, we do not have we do not have what, we cannot speak the praises of this one. We are ruined. We don't belong in here. Now, we're going to come back to this. We're in the DeLorean today with, with uh, Marty McFly in the dock, right? <laughs> so now we're in 600 somewhere BC. We're going to type in, uh, 27 AD, 26 perhaps. Boom, and there we are. And Jesus has just finished his last act of public ministry to the crowds. And he's ready to depart to get alone with his disciples. In days he'll be dead. 
and then in days he'll be alive again. But as he bows out of the scenery, John says this. Let's go there. Thank you. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. Watch this. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah, the prophet, Lord, this is 53, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord, strength of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe because as Isaiah says elsewhere, and now what we're going to read now, if you read Isaiah 6, which we're not going to read this, we're not going to dive into all of Isaiah 6, but in the vision that we're seeing of the holiness of God, in the vision where he's saying, I have no, I cannot praise the holiness, I am undone. Later, after something happens to Isaiah, he hears the message that God wants him to go tell Israel, who won't listen, but tell him anyway. And look what it says here. John is saying, for this reason they could not believe, because Isaiah says, God has blinded their eyes, hardened their hearts, so they can neither see with their eyes, understand with their hearts, nor turn, and I would heal them. Now this, this blows me away right here. Isaiah said this, because he saw, what's the next word? Do you see that? Isaiah said what he said, because he heard God tell him to say that, when he saw... Who? In his glory. And spoke about him. You see where we're going? The majesty. Who is on that throne? Who hem of his robe fills the temple. That the seraphim are blocking saying holy. Who is it? According to Isaiah? According to John? Hey, if you ever have... A Jehovah Witness or two show up at your house, as I have, and they say, we, the Christians, we're wrong because we believe in, in three gods. We don't believe in three gods. We believe in one God manifested in three persons. But in their Bible, the New World Translation, I'm sitting there one day, and it really wasn't unfair because I knew this was in their Bible. So I said, so you guys think there's, you think we think, that, I said, so can I, can I use your, because they didn't want to use my Bible because, you know, of course ours is wrong. So I said, well, let's use yours. So I took them to Isaiah 6, and I said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw Jehovah seated on a throne. We had Jehovah Witness, right? I said, who are they seeing? Jehovah. They thought I was dumb. What a dumb question to ask. Who do they see? It tells you right there they're seeing. That's interesting, right? Uh, is he on the throne? Yeah. Are they worship? Are the angels worshiping him? Worshiping him. Uh, can you, in your Bible, go to John twelve? Sure. Blah 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 blah. And then I had him read that passage. And this, and in their Bible, at that point, this probably changed by now. I don't know. Maybe not. If you're a Jehovah's Witness, just happen to be listening. I asked those guys to read these words. Isaiah said this because he saw 
in his glory. And those guys started looking through the Bible. They looked at each other and said, there aren't three gods. There are not three gods. I said, so what I'm going to say next to you is really important. I don't say it in judgmental. I'm just telling you. Jesus said to the Pharisees, after this, if you don't believe that I am, you will die in your sins. What is happening here? The New Testament unfolds and unpacks the, the revelation of the Trinity. The Old has, has that hidden. But what we're saying here is that Isaiah is seeing this massive mountain range of the ministry of Messiah and the glory of who this one is. Whose hem fills the temple. Isaiah saw the glory of Christ on the throne before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Now, Paul, Paul saw after Isaiah saw before, Paul saw after. And much of Paul's explanation about the person of Christ, the ministry of Christ, comes from all over the Old Testament, but a ton of it comes from the prophet Isaiah. And Paul describing what Messiah would do, what Jesus did, Jesus has now been raised. When Paul writes what I'm going to read to you, Jesus has now been raised. He is at the Father's right hand. He is the ancient, he's come before the ancient of days on the clouds of heaven to receive his kingdom. But Paul talks about this majestic one that Isaiah saw in this mystery that to this day Tens of thousands of books this size have been written to try to explain the mystery of God becoming a Nazarene carpenter and dying like a rejected criminal in the most defaming way possible. And Paul has the greatest understanding of this and writes these words to the Philippian Christians describing the massive glory of God in Christ that does not diminish at all, at all. He doesn't lose one bit of it, but in humility manifests it in a completely different way. Look what he says. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. 
rather. This is why angels are looking into this even today. Because what it's saying is the angels themselves still. The fascination of this to them. Of who they have seen. Gabriel says to John the Baptist's father, I've been sent here. I stand in the face of God to come and tell you you're going to have a baby. In the face of God. I've, I've seen God's face and came here to tell you this. And they are watching in the world, in the church, as this message that I'm preaching. Who am I? Who are we? Angels are looking into everywhere the gospel, everywhere that Christ, they are all in. He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, the rather, same glory, but rather, he takes the glory of God in a completely different way. He made himself, who's the himself? He made himself nothing. Nothing. Why do we elevate preachers higher than this one who made himself nothing? Churches, he made himself nothing. And beyond that, he took the very nature of, and we have the word servant, it is the word ebed in the Hebrew, which means slave. The burning ones can't look. Isaiah's been ruined for the rest of his life by the majesty, the weight of the kabod, of the, kabod, of the glory of God. And this one made himself a slave, took on himself humanity. But that's not the end. This isn't a different glory. It's the same glory in a different way. He, in appearance as a man, humbled himself by becoming obedient to God, even to obey him if it cost him his life. Um, I don't have my Bible. Um, I, the reason why, you have a minute? You got somewhere to be? I don't. And if I did, this is better. Um, I honestly believe that uh, Paul is writing this stirred by the Spirit because he's recalling these things that Messiah is saying to him, the spirit of Messiah in them pointing to, Messiah is saying before he's ever born that this is what will happen when he lives. I was not obedient, nor did I turn my back. This is 700 years before. I gave my back to those who strike me and my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. This is Isaiah 50. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting because the Lord helps me. I am not disgraced. I've set my face like a flint. I will not be ashamed. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? This is Jesus of Nazareth walking out this word in faith 
For the joy set before him, he endures what he's going to face. This is why he's sweating great drops of blood in the garden. He knows that 51 follows 50 and 52 which says, listen, 52 says about the Abed, the slave of Yahweh. It says that his image, listen, his image was so marred beyond human likeness. The, 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 the Hebrew phrases here mean that he didn't, he was beaten so badly that he, that he not only did he didn't look human, but you couldn't look at it. Like men who hide their faces. We esteemed... Now, here's, here's one for you. Every Jewish person that's ever come to Jesus Christ has melted down some way in Isaiah 53. From Paul. And what we're reading, this is mind-blowing to me. What we're reading in Isaiah 53, before he's born, is we are seeing what Isaiah sees at the end of days when the nation of Israel will come to an awareness. We, as a people, esteemed him not. When he came to us, we rejected. When they're weeping, when a fountain of grace opens up to the house of Israel, they will be saying what we're reading in Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for... Do you get that? Just like Joseph's brothers, when they realize that the one they threw in the well, the one they sold as a slave, God in his providence say, went ahead of them, set him up as ruler of, his, of, of Egypt to save their lives. And they realize that they're, they think he's going to judge them. And he welcomes them in. Jesus is going to do the same thing. Mashiach ben David is also Mashiach ben Joseph. That's what's going to happen. Isaiah is seeing it. And we haven't seen it yet. It hasn't happened yet. This is what Paul is being overwhelmed. This is why Ephesians that we're preaching is why I'm saying, well, do you know about the mystery that God's given me? To tell you about the unsearchable riches. This is what Paul preached. Now look, in Isaiah 52 and 53, it says, after the suffering of his soul, he will be satisfied. My righteous one will justify many and he will be ascended and kings will shut their mouths at him when they see and he will divide his treasures with the strong. That's what we're going in the riches. The, the riches, why? My, my, my messages have a gestalt purpose. That as we put all this together, the pieces will fit and you just go, holy smokes, man. All right. Oh, gosh. Where are we? All right. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every... So when we say in the name of Jesus, we should have a little bit more faith, a lot more faith in when we're saying the name of Jesus because you know what that name says? Those, those burning ones know what that name is all about. And the devil knows. 
That's the Appalachian word for wowee. <laughs> At the name of Jesus, every knee, every knee, every knee, every knee, every knee, every knee. Not right now. Not right now. Not right now. There's people strutting right now. There's kings talking big talk right now. But Isaiah gives a graphic description of some of the kings, what will happen to them. And the only way to give you a clue when you think of the word depends, it's that word. When you see the one you cursed, he ain't dead no more. Every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus the Messiah is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, I said all that to say this. There are these guys, they're working the night shift in Bethlehem watching sheep. What Isaiah saw, what Paul saw, watch this. And there were shepherds. Next slide. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And here we go. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory, there's that word again. There, the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And what happened to them? They were what? Yeah. So when we say, and I know I say it too, Lord, show us your glory. Be careful what you ask for. We're thinking, give us the warm, fuzzy marshmallow where I go, kumbaya. <laughs> God might show us the glory that uh, depends. Um, and they were, they were terrified. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, and I want to tie this back to Isaiah. When Isaiah says, I'm ruined, as soon as he, the glory of God is revealed to man to get a response so that God can respond to man. Isaiah says, I'm ruined. And the angel, I love this, flew to him and touched his lips. Flew. Notice the majesty is revealed here to these shepherds, but it's revealed in a different way. It's the exact same glory of God, the exact same holy character of God, but it's coming in a different way. He told Isaiah to say, tell them to forget the former things. Don't worship a new covenant God with an Old Testament mind. I'm not back there anymore. You're already in before you enter in. Just saying. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the unclean lipsers. For all the unclean lipsers. 
It was for the transgressors that he died for them. And then he says this next, next slide. This will be a sign to you, all right? Think of what Isaiah saw as a sign. They said, hey, show us a sign, Jesus, and we'll believe. They said it in his ministry as he's hanging on a cross. Show us a sign and we'll believe. Oh, you want a sign? Here's the only sign. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a rock, stone-carved feeding trough. That's where you'll find the hem of his garment. Now, does that, can you, can you explain that? Nobody's ever been able to explain that. The mystery of God is great, Paul says. He appeared in a body. The majesty, the manger, we're getting to me and you. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host, they're all there, man. They're looking in. They've always been looking in. Wherever Jesus is, wherever he's preached, they're praising God. And here's what they're saying. Kabod, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, on earth, on earth, on earth. What? Peace to those on whom his favor rests. It's the kind intention of God to bring people to his heart. And here's what they say. After Isaiah's lips were touched, he could hear. After his lips are touched and his sin is moved away, he can hear God say, who will go for us? And immediately, instead of saying, I have no ability, I am not worthy to praise, immediately he says, I'm first in line, sign me up, here am I, send me. Look at the change. Look at the change of what atonement from the powerful hand of Messiah does for a person. Look at the difference of mindset. Look at the difference of, 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 of what propels a person instead of being weighed down, cowering back. It's here, me. Watch this. The shepherds, when the angels leave, they say, let's go. Let's go. Go where? To the God activity. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing which the Lord told us about. No sense of dire here. Instead, it's let's go see what heaven is inviting us to. Do you see this? And when they had seen him, they, they did what? They spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. I want to close with this. Would you jump over the next two slides and go to me question mark? There we go. The majesty, the manger, and me. Christmas, 
Christ Mass. I ask myself as I've been stirring in this, and, and it's not fair because I've processed this for a month now, and I'm asking you to process it in seconds. Christmas, I wrote this to myself, is, is it Christmas massive or Christmas light? L-I-T-E. Like the gluten-free kind or the <laughs> dairy-free or Jesus without the capital J. Chris massive or Christmas. Silent night. You know, you know, or is it, you know what I'm saying? Isaiah says, man, listen, Isaiah would say, my, my beginnings in God is time stamped. I know when, in the year King Uzziah died. It's like, where were you when John Kennedy, well, I wasn't born yet, I was, but where were you when 9-11 happened? Where were you, Right? Where were you when you were saved? I'm not sure. I can tell you. I can point you to a place on a floor in a Wesleyan church right up 220. In the year King Do you have a time stamp with Jesus? Has he, in a good way, ruined you to any other appeal. Paul writes in sorrow, Demas, my ministry partner, has left having fallen back in love with this present world. Are you ruined in a good way? Is there a time stamp on the massive weight that said to you, I'm being crushed in a good way by the stone that makes men stumble? and a rock that makes men fall. In a good way. Chris Massive. Chris Massive. Because I wrote this, his life and glory can harden us as well as heal us. His life and glory can blind us as well as open blinded eyes. His holy life and glory is revealed for our response to be like Isaiah, to be like the shepherds, to be like Paul. And the key, the doorway, is our response to the revelation of the glory where you say, I'm ruined, but I can see. And then you say, here I am. My life, here I am. Send me, use me. I'm not in it for the money. I'm not in it for the applause. I'm not in it for the position. I have seen the king. I'm all in. I'm all in. The majesty, the manger, in me. Would you stand, please? Lord, I was a, you know this, I was, uh, Lord, I, I, angels are looking in.
You cut out of time a morning for me. I was talking to David Reed yesterday about the blessing of growing up in, 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 my Baptist, in the Baptist church. My Sunday school teachers taught me the word of God. I don't remember a whole lot of ever anyone mentioning much about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But at 17 years of age, in a, on a Sunday morning like this, God stopped time for me. And a revelation I never could see, I couldn't see it, but it was as if someone's hand took hold of my heart, my, my inner being, and grabbed it. I felt like if I did not respond to God, it wasn't fear, but I felt like my whole life was now going to either pivot or, or, or just fall completely apart by what I did next. I felt that if I turned and went out that door, that I, my life would go right off the falls. I was overwhelmed with this massive weight of responsibility and opportunity. God Almighty, for some reason, was granting this Cumberland kid and for a second, I hesitated when the music began to play. And then all of a sudden, I was standing out in the aisle by myself. Actually, uh, one of my buddies who was uh, the running back for Allegheny, who was on the state championship team, was right behind me. And something said to me, if you go to that altar, he's going to tell everybody you're going to be the laughing stock of school. And it touched me for a minute, made me think for a minute. But there was something way more weighty than all the knucklehead club I was in at Fort Hill High School. God was sitting down on me. And as I started walking forward, my brain was going, what am I doing right now? What in the world am I doing? But as I got about halfway down, I began to cry from a You'll never believe this, but I couldn't give a speech in school without about passing out of fear. I'd never ask a girl out on a date, and if one asked me, I'd have died on the, I'd have died on the spot. I had no ability to get up and give an answer in front of a class or give a speech. I never could talk. I had gifts of music I would have never used. I never used them. Never used them. And when Jesus touched my life, I haven't shut up since. <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't. I got people who've been here before you that wouldn't clap at that. But anyway. As I was walking forward, the, the Lord touched an untapped fountain inside my soul that needed to be untapped. And levels of toxicity of soul began to come up and out of my eyes, of my, of my heart. And I just melted into the floor. And nobody in the whole church but me went forward that day. Isn't that fun? You, you can't even hide in the crowd. It's just you. Everybody's like, this doesn't happen. Look, what's going on? Who is this person? And I'm just, I'm just, I'm being so ruined in a good way. God, listen, there are things that have, that have been in my life that I wish I had a, a do-over. 
I used my mulligans up with Jesus many moons ago. So many moments I wish I could have back. So been so many times I felt like giving up. So many times I thought, is it worth it? Is it anything even working in my life? Is God even working in our church? I've had those moments, and there have been moments where, and I, I could never turn back, but there have been these moments where, you know what's kept me? You know what's gotten me back up again or got my knucklehead straight for a minute or two or another couple years or whatever? Was that moment as a 17-year-old kid because God ruined me to know if I turn, there's nothing in all of existence that's real outside of Jesus. Nothing. And to think in his mercy, he revealed that to me in a gift of ruining me and then lifting me and working. I'm nobody special. That's for anyone and everyone in the world. That's for every person in this room, everybody watching, everybody that will listen. The, what the shepherds are saying to you and me, let's go. Let's go see. Uh, the, these altars are open. We're long past time. These altars are open as the angels look in. When the gospel's preached, they long to look in. You know what they're waiting on? They're waiting to celebrate you. When one person turns from sin to God, Jesus said, all those burning ones, they start celebrating even over one that turns. Why don't you let today be the day you go from an indecision to a decision to come and allow the massive weight of the glory of God to lift you, to ruin you, to change you, to melt you, to heal you? Why don't you let it be? You might be a dad and your step will change the whole course of all of your family. You might be a wife. You might be a young man that, you, listen, that, I've pre, I've never, I said something the other day, I don't think in 27 years I've ever repeated a sermon. I don't think that's smart. I'm just telling you, I've never repeated a sermon in 27 years. And I've rarely taken time off. I don't know how many people I've preached to. Nowhere in comparison to great men that stood behind pulpits. But I had no idea that day what God was going to do in my life. So some of the worst times of my own life and the hardest, most discouraging moments have been some, some of the times where someone would say, on the day that I wondered if God had even remembered me, people would say on some of those days, you know, when you said blah, 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 changed my marriage. When you said blah, 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 my son looked up and said, did you talk to Pastor Tim? I've had that happen so many times I can't even count it. I didn't know any of that. As a 17-year-old kid, that was being pulled by the devil to worry about what a football player was going to say to knucklehead friends in a high school. And God gave me the strength to turn and come to Jesus. May the power that changes all people
May the purity that comes in the blood of Jesus, may the quickening, resurrecting work of the Holy Spirit be released now into this place if it's just one young soul to do what the shepherds did. I've got to come and bow. I've got to come and see. I've got to follow the invitation of heaven. And may you do it here around these altars in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Dustin, and thanks for listening. If you live in the Western Maryland area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services or weekday gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environment, please visit myloh.church.